this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is a very special edition of Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. And this is our 100th episode. Yes, it is our 100th episode. Wow. After almost five It'll be five years in November on Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, so four and a half. That's not too bad. Yeah. We would have gotten there sooner uh, when we started out. We were doing every week, but that's because yeah. I was blissfully unemployed. Yeah. And then we had long hiatus period. And, yes. And, but now we've got back to doing every two weeks, and two it's weeks. working out. Hi. And today yeah. we're doing something a little different. Yes. We hope you enjoy it. And even if you don't, we will. But first, before we get into that, we do need to have kind of a correction from our last yes, episode. Yes, our NNW yes. on this is a robbery. I'll do it because I'm I was the more blatant one when I was insistent that the restaurant they showed was not in Maine, but probably yes. Massachusetts or somewhere. It is in Maine, and you realized it right after. Well, the problem was when I first watched episode four. I was watching with mom and dad. I was distracted. Yeah, and then I watched it again. Um, because I realized there was stuff that I wanted to, that I needed, you needed some right. better answers. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I know exactly where that is because I've eaten there many times because my, is the... my, my mother-in-law, kind of, whatever you want to call her, lives like within Why steps Why wouldn't you call it? She's your ex-mother-in-law. No, she's not. Oh, that's right. Married. Yeah, that's right. Thank God. Name the restaurant. Oh, it's Harrisseek at Lunch and Lobster. Yeah, in Freeport. It's in South Freeport. Right, yes. South Freeport. And I think I said, but when I was editing, I cut it out because it was one of those things. We both have a tendency to start like three sentences without... <laughs> and so I cut a lot of that out. But I did say that there is coastal area in South Freeport, but it, that doesn't mean I was right. But I am still taking away a point for the main cliches... Because even though the restaurant is in Maine, they said Portland, and one of my things yeah. was, you know, like, ooh, all of Maine is Portland, you know, and um, I know, and we still don't know because of their freneticism whether that's actually the restaurant those guys I went know. to or not. Yeah, exactly. So, or and if they, they or it, if they just thought it was like more picturesque than say Demillo's or something, which like, you know, and Freeport's like twenty miles north. Or, or Her- yeah, I yeah. mean, so. It's not Portland. It's just like, right. you know, they love to show Portland headlight in Cape Elizabeth when they talk about Portland, but at least that's kind of... But anyway, so that's we got our... a lot more nitpicking to do tonight, I can tell yeah, you that. Yeah, What we're doing tonight is we're listing from 10 to 1 each our top crime songs. Top songs yes, about and crime. It... In one of my listings, I explain how we came to do this episode, so we don't have to give too much details right. on but how we, we decided. But we do want to say that these aren't like the all-time best songs about crime. No, they're not, no. or anything like that. There, there are personal top tens, and we'll explain yes, why why they yes. are. And both of our lists are, are our lists are surprises to each other. Yes, they are. So we might have some we might have some overlaps. And I don't know. There's a couple I think we might, we but we might. there's others well, I know we won't. Well, one of the things is, is, is I was realizing there's so many, and my list could have easily exactly. have had 10 songs that are I could have had 100. 
But I do want to say one thing that I was realizing, and I've realized it before as I was doing this, that we were lucky as kids. There was a lot of music in our house. Exactly. And by music, I mean actual music. It's not a metaphor for loving whatever because you know <laughs> you know i have a lot of friends like my age or a little younger people i've worked with and stuff who are like oh you know i i haven't listened to my own music in years because i have kids first of all when we grew up in the 60s and 70s in the car there was the radio parents weren't forced to listen to the waddles or wiggles or whatever the shit people listen to we we all listen to the radio but also at home even though we had kids records mom and dad's music played a lot exactly i even mentioned that in some of mine i i I do too oh i'm sure hmm. you do too because we listen to um music all all the time right and we it was always playing and i think it helped i think we're all pretty imaginative anyway and would Mm -hmm. have been but one thing too when i was putting my list together i realized how much even as a very small kid some of these songs peaked my imagination. Yes, and, exactly. And all of the ones on my list, I realize, are kind of stories where exactly. I had very... Exactly, I said the same thing yeah, in my notes, okay. yes. Where I had very vivid yeah. pictures. Uh, and not that all, mm-hmm. they're all songs from my childhood or whatever, no. but... So do you want to start with your number 10? Yes, but first let me say, um, I have a little intro, I, kind of, because oh, okay. I wrote mine out more i think more i wrote an intro but i just kind of covered all the points when we were so i said the same thing my method was that i sat down and wrote as many songs as i could think of and my way of thinking was that the ones that came to my mind first were probably the ones i either liked the most or stuck with me over time or i was the most familiar with Mm -hmm. and as i wrote those down other ones came to mind it was hard to narrow it down as you said i did find certain artists tend to have a lot of crime related songs (laughs) Like jo- I have the f- top three I was thinking of, Johnny Cash, Bruce Springsteen, and Steve Earle, who's Steve Earle's my right. favorite man. And, uh, Bob I decided Dylan to- and the Kingston Trio. <laughs> oh, and Bob Dylan, yes, exactly. So for them, I decided, I decided to pick the song of theirs that I either liked the most... The crime song that you liked the most, not yes, just the crime, oh, obviously. And, and these are, if we weren't clear before, these are songs that have to do with crime. Before you go on, can we define that? Some of them, it's it's not a specific a crime is being committed in a song, or they're a song exactly. about a crime. It's, it's that just has, songs that have yeah, that they're have just songs that theme. have to do with crime. Right, right. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. And some songs cannot be ignored, so I'm sure we have. Yeah, they may be in my honorable mention, I think, that cannot be ignored. Yeah, I have an honorable... Most of them are story songs, like you said, because I think there's a tradition in songs, I mean, not even just American songs, but there's a tradition in songwriting to tell a story about crime. For some reason, people have always been fascinated with crime. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that's a new phenomenon, but it's not. It's not. And these ballads and songs have been going on for years and years and years. It's still a tradition in songwriting, and I think it's also something that we're just interested in as human beings, because we're narcissistic about ourselves, and even if we're killing people, apparently that's interesting to us. I think because you can get a lot of emotion, especially if it's murder or something or betrayal. There's a lot of opportunities for drama and emotion. And I think people are interested in how people think and feel and how their minds work. And when people do things that they shouldn't, you know, it's a bigger way to explore that than when people are just walking down the street smelling flowers or whatever. 
I know. It's more interesting. And the it, other thing I wanted to say was most of them have very strong imagery, and that's why they've yes. stuck, stuck with me over yes. the years. Or they have lyrics that really stuck with me, which I know in all of yes. mine I discussed lyrics that yes. I liked in the song. My method was kind of similar to yours, and then I went through, because I still have a bunch of CDs, kind of went through my CDs to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And I also kind of just Googled crime songs online to make sure I wasn't, you know, because sometimes you, there's mm-hmm. just some obvious thing you forget about. What that did was reaffirm as if we needed it, that the internet in some ways sucks. It gives and it takes, but people are idiots. Yeah. And that'll come up with some of mine. Um, <laughs> but but I notice a lot of the lists are the same stuff. Yeah. And as you know, with internet lists, people just copy other people's lists, and they obviously don't even know the songs. But I wanted to say that our two lists are not internet list they're not like a top 10 no in fact i didn't even look i didn't even look the way we're doing it is we're going to start with the 10th and go through to our number one most like most personal influential crime song even after i finished writing the script because i was on youtube listening to a lot of the songs yeah i made a playlist myself (laughs) i saw a couple that are not on my list that might be on your list so at the end we'll talk about them but then i was like oh shoot i forgot about that but anyways what are you gonna do Anyway, so, so my first one is 10th. my number number ten, excitable boy. Oh written yeah, and, yeah. Written and performed by Warren Zevon, released nineteen seventy eight. Yes. Wow. Now, I had a lot of songs where guys kill gals on my list at first. I decided I didn't really want to have my whole list about that. And some of them are really bad, and I'm going to discuss that later. But this one made the list because even though it's jaunty and catchy, (laughs) it does have a message. The story is that this boy has a bunch of red flags that people ignore. He messes around with his food, which isn't that bad. But then that escalates into biting a woman's leg in a movie theater and finally to raping and killing his prom date. His behavior is brushed off as just being a, quote, excitable boy. Yes. Now, as we know from our many crime and stuff episodes, behavior like this needs to be nipped in the bud. The tone of the song may rankle some people and the fact that it seems like Warren Zevon is trying to be funny. And I generally don't like violence treated flippantly like this. But I do like the fact that he's clearly pointing out that this unnamed young man had issues that need to be addressed and no one took them seriously. Even after he's released from a mental hospital and digs up Susie's grave, they just <laughs> shake their heads and shrug. What can you do? Right. I first heard this album, Excitable Boy, shortly after it was released. Our sister Liz had it. Yeah. I had the record myself in high school and always had either had the CD or the record or the tape. And I still listen to it to this day. Right. It's a very good album. Top hit that people... It might be familiar with even now as Werewolves of London. Yes, Werewolves of London's on it. And I was going to say there were two other contenders from yeah. this album, Roland the Thompson Gunner and Lawyer, Lawyer's Guns and Money. And yes. I wanted to talk about those two at the end. My favorite line is probably the worst. He took little Susie to the junior prom. Excitable boy, they all said. He raped her and killed her and he took her home. Excitable boy, they all said. Well, he's just an excitable boy. I also have favorite lines from the other two songs. Actually, Lawyer's Guns and Money, pretty much every line in the song Yes, is I love favorite. that song. So we'll talk about those later. But yes, that is my well, number 10. Good. And now that's, it's your number and, 10. And that's a good number 10 and a good analysis, too, of a lot of the things we talk about. Gavin DeBecker would... Yes, he would be. And, and so Laura, Richards. Laura Richards. My number 10, it's He's Gone by The Grateful Dead. Oh! Which was inspired... 
by Mickey Hart, you know, the drummer. His Mm -hmm. uncle, Lenny, was, I'm not sure if he was a manager or their business manager, but took off with all their money. Oh, that's right. And so this song, and it was written by... Did Robert Hunter write it? Yeah, it came out in 1972, and it was on the Europe 72 album, Mm -hmm. which is an album I love. And it just, lyrics are really good. But it's funny because over the years, it became kind of an anthem for the dead when somebody left or died. But the words, obviously, and I don't want to read the whole song, but every lyric in it is great. Rat in a drain ditch, caught on a limb, you know better, but I know him. Like I told you what I said, steal your face right off your head. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's pretty bitter. I don't know why it became a song that they sang, kind of lamenting a friend's death. But um, my favorite lines from it every line i love but i like nine mile skid on a 10 mile ride yeah hot as a pistol but cool inside i don't know what it is about that line but i i just always i love, love it. that song i can't and, believe i yeah and um i also like lost one round but the price wasn't anything a knife in the back and more of the same it's one of those songs and there are a few like this on my list where it doesn't specifically say this crime happened and blah 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 but it's got the mood and the words where it can apply to a lot of situations and obviously a, a crime happen and also i love you know the musicality of it like most of the songs on my list they're songs that you can sing along to (laughs) yes you know and they're well that's the thing that the music on a lot of them is part of it so my number nine funny thing is a song that is actually on that europe 72 album although Mm. that's the first time i heard it but i'm going with the original because i like that and i think he should be honored and it's Mama Tried by Merle Haggard, Mm. released in 1968. Mm. So this song is from the point of view of a guy who ends up in prison despite his mother trying to keep him on the straight and narrow. As the chorus, and also my favorite part, says, And I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama Tried, Mama Tried. Mm. It seems that the guy in the song's father died, leaving his mother a single parent to a family, quote, meek and mild, except the narrator. The listener never finds out what he did, but we assume it's pretty bad or he wouldn't be doing life without parole. Hmm. Merle himself served time in San Quentin for robbery in the late 1950s, about three years. So I'm sure the emotional element in the song uh, is kind of autobiographical. He feels it. And like I said, I first heard this as a cover by the Grateful Dead. Hmm. But if if I like a song, I usually try to seek out the original artist uh, just to hear how it originally heard. And I've known and enjoyed his version for, God, 30 years. Yeah, I like his version. I think what I like about it is the character isn't trying to justify anything he did or blame anyone else. He's just sad that he let his mom down. Right. And this song has been covered by so many artists, and I've heard it on a lot of TV shows and movies. Even on stupid Gilmore Girls, that (laughs) troubadour guy was singing at once. It's a classic tale. Honestly, it could have been sung by a guy 150 years ago in the Old West or a guy, you know, yesterday who joined a gang it's about a guy whose mother tried really hard and he could not keep on the straight and narrow you know no one could steer me right but mama tried and he's sad about it that he let her down that's a good one 
It's a good song. It's that's a kind of universal thing. You know, the mother love. They want the best for their boys. Well, then there are some that are enablers, but. Not to segue, but when I went to mom and dad's on Mother's Day, (laughs) you, you know, and we have, besides the two of us, there are four other siblings, two boys. And our brother Billy lives a few blocks from my parents. The and golden I, boy. And I said to mom, have you heard from Billy today? Is he coming over? And she goes, oh no, he never pays attention to Mother's Day. But with him, every day is Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> and there I am with my presents. I brought her lunch and all this. But nobody can compete with Billy no, who's not even there. No. Uh, Anyway. So what's your number nine? My number nine is, it's a classic story song. Mm. It is Highway Patrolman by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, that was uh, my original. It came out in 1982 and it's on the Nebraska album. And a lot of those lists you'll see on the internet will have the song Nebraska, which is about Charles Starkweather. Yes. I'll tell you why I like this one. But first of all, speaking of the internet, so if you Google this on the internet, it'll say it's by Johnny Cash. Because oh, Johnny Jesus. Cash covered it yes, on did, an album, yeah. and that just shows you how stupid the internet is. And one of my peeves, and Becky, I know this is yours too, is when if somebody makes a song popular, and I'm not knocking Johnny Cash, but like Adele did that Dylan song, and everybody's like, oh, mm-hmm. Adele's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they're not talking about, they don't her mean version. Adele's version. Yes. They think it's her song, and um, that annoys me. The version I like of Highway Patrolman. It, it was on the Nebraska album, and it's good, but the live in Dublin album mm. that came out, his live version is good. The end, the final chorus, the band just really kicks it. It's a classic, another classic tale of two brothers. One's a cop, one's a criminal. Ne'er-do-well. A, a ne'er-do-well. And, I just um, like that phrase, sorry. Yes. The good brother stayed home and married Maria, who they both used to dance with at the Legion Hall. And the other brother went to Vietnam. He's on patrol, and he hears that there's a fight at a bar. Frankie's in trouble downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he has to go. Yeah, he's Joe Roberts. My name is Joe Roberts. I work for the state. He works for the state. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of the lines I like is, well, if it was any other man, I'd put him straight away. But when it's your brother, sometimes yeah. you look the other way. Exactly. None of the song is great poetry. And anybody who, who really dislikes Bruce Springsteen, there'd be a lot of things in it that they would not um, like. In fact, he lets his brother, spoiler, he lets his brother get away at the end. He's chasing him through the roads of um, Ohio. Seeing a Buick with Ohio plates behind the yes, wheels. Frank. It's Michigan right, so. County in Ohio. Yes. But there's a sign says Canadian <laughs> Canadian border five miles from here. And Nikki, yeah. our youngest sister, and I used to make fun of that. I and, used to laugh at that, too. And 10 years ago, we were driving. Nikki and me and Mom and Liz were going to Quebec City, which is only four hours from where I live. And we got to... There was a sign that said Canadian border, like 10 miles. And Nikki and I both said at the same time, Canadian border five miles from here. <laughs> and Liz and Mom were confused. I don't think they were paying attention to us. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to put links to these songs. Songs, YouTube yes. links on our website. I just like it because it's just the classic story yeah. of two brothers, and it does have some good imagery. When he says, um, "Dancing with Maria," as the band well, played okay, in the, here I got the, it in front of me. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he says, "Yeah, we're laughing and drinking. Nothing feels better than blood yes. on blood. Taking yes. turns dancing with Maria is the band played night of the Johnstown flood." Yes, I love that part of that. Song. Right, and it's got that. I don't want to say carnivaly type music, but it's. A catchy tune. Yeah. And it's poignant in that way. Yes, it is. And so, and that's why I like it. You know, more like Nebraska's a good song. 
you know, about Charles Starkweather and what's yes, her name. Yes, that and, one's good, too. And a lot of his other crime. He has a lot and of crime And Johnny 99. If they, and if, stuff, yes. But this one, I just like the story and the... And, and the other one I thought about, but I like it, is uh, State Trooper mm-hmm. by him. Mr. Mr. State, and please don't I'm, stop me. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know who does a really, really good version of it is Steve Earle, a live version yeah. that's really good. I'll have and to no offense to, to Bruce, or it was I read his biography, Steve Earle biography, which wasn't that good, but the story where he did it in concert and Bruce Springsteen was backstage and wanted to meet him and he didn't want to talk to Bruce Springsteen and everyone's like, how can you not want to talk to Bruce Springsteen? He's like, because I messed up the song when I sang it and I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to meet him. But all his friends made him meet him. So anyway, that has nothing to do with anything, but anyway. Okay, so interestingly enough, my number eight is a Bruce Springsteen song. Oh! It is American Skin, 41 Shots. Mm, I almost put that one on. So written and performed by Bruce Springsteen, the studio release was 2003, but he started performing it in concert in 2000. Bruce wrote the song as a response to the killing of Amadou Diallo, a 23-year-old Ghanaian immigrant. It was about 12.40 a.m., February 4th, 1999, in the Bronx. Amadou was returning to his home when four undercover police who were supposedly searching for a serial rapist stopped their unmarked car to question. Amadou. He ran into the vestibule of his building and was taking his wallet out of his pocket when the police opened fire on him. They fired 41 shots at Amadou with their semi-automatic weapons. 19 of those bullets hit Amadou. This is obviously an oversimplification of the story. In my research, also, I read some pro-cop, pro-Mayor Giuliani Mm. article about how the cops were being blamed when it wasn't all their fault. The reporter Mm. called Amadou a street peddler and disparaged him in a lot of ways. Well, the specifics... Uh, what anyone who wants to see a good documentary that series yeah try by media Media. try by media has a good episode about that the specifics of the case don't matter since this story seems to be as old as the history of our country and has been played over thousands of times it seems especially in the last year or so we've seen how many times similar stories Mm -hmm. if it's not a wallet it's a sandwich or a cell phone like we or were nothing. About. Or nothing. <laughs> In fact, speaking uh, of wallet, my favorite lyric. Are you going to say it? Because I have no. I can't because yet. I don't uh, have it in front of me. Good. You can wait till I'm done. Okay. Um, back then, Giuliani's cops walked the streets, stopping and searching any dark-skinned guy they wanted to. People like the reporter of the story I read love to tout the low street crime rates of that era. No shit. You know who else had low street crimes? Nazi Germany and other mm. occupied countries. <laughs> Italy under Mussolini had low street crime rates mm. anyway, so I digress, but... I'm just saying, street crime rates, when your cops are going around violating people's civil rights, doesn't anything to be proud of. Giuliani, and you're going to be in jail Crazy soon. Crazy Rudy. Anyway. In 2000, Bruce Springsteen first sang the song in a concert in, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. At the time, it caused an uproar, especially with the New York City Police Department, who said they wouldn't provide security to Bruce's concert, and they were generally butthurt about his song. Mm-hmm. The four cops were indicted of manslaughter, but were ultimately acquitted. Listening to the song today will make you cry. At least it made me cry mm. but everybody think that as i said nothing has changed the chorus still resonates today quote is it a gun is it a knife is it a wallet this is your life it ain't no secret it ain't no secret no secret my friend you can get killed for living in your american skin a mother in the song tells her young son as she gets him ready for school on these streets charles you've got to understand the rules if an officer stops you promise me you'll always be polite and that you'll never run away. Promise, Mama, you'll keep your hands in sight. Mm. We saw 
Bruce in concert several times in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. and I remember the song well every time he sang it, and it's still such yes. a powerful song. It, it's sad that 20 years later, it is still so relevant. Yep. When he first started singing in concert, when he sang it at Madison, I think it was Madison Square Garden, and there were these cops in the front. And mm-hmm. during the song, they all turned their back on oh, him. Oh, fuck that. And, and, like, Nikki and I were talking about it at the time, and we're like, yeah, every other song, they're there cheering and singing along, and then they turn their back on that one, so what's the point? Don't go I to know. the fucking concert. No shit. You know? And um, I, I've seen Bruce, like, 30 times. Yes. I'm but you're saying. not like that one blonde lady that's always in the front No, the row. blonde lady. I, we've never had good <laughs> seats. No, the best seats I ever had were the first time I saw him at Boston Garden, in December of 1980 on the River Tour, about 10 of us went, our friend Mike Gilmartin's mom, because this was before Ticketmaster and everything, had to go stand in line and got 10 tickets, because she lived in Canton, Mass, I think. And a bunch of us went, and we were on the floor about 20 rows from the stage, and I remember there were these old wooden folding chairs, and we were, like, standing on our chairs, and it was awesome. And I didn't realize that after seeing him, like, 30 times over the next, I don't know how many decades... I would never have seats like that again. I had really good seats when I saw him. Um, it was the ghost of Tom Joad. When you spilled beer on John Chris- Curie's wife. Oh, yeah, Teresa Hine. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. she could get over it. Yeah. I couldn't help it. I was but, wasted well, those by the time I ones, could... Yeah, those acoustic ones, it's easier to get good yeah. seats. Okay, yeah, now my eight. number eight is another story song. Ooh, I love the story songs. I Lily... Rosemary Ooh, and the Jack of Hearts uh, by Bob was Dylan. Yeah, by Bob Dylan. It came out in 1975 on Blood on the Tracks, which is like my, mm-hmm. one of my all-time favorite albums. Me too. That and Born to Run both came out in 75, and I think that was my yeah. biggest year of music. But this song, I can remember Jimmy, you know, our brother, he's a year younger than me, sitting there trying to decipher... <laughs> this song you know because it's typical dylan the last time we were at crime bake our friend john radasta who's written a textbook about bob dylan about every bob dylan song was trying to explain to me what happens in this song but we were both drunk and i don't think it was an effective conversation but i do feel the wrong person is on the gallows by the end of the song yeah it never really says but it's obviously like in the i would say in the old west you know in the 1800s or something Mm. there's a robbery going on the wall is being drilled through the characters Mm -hmm. are lily rosemary the jack of hearts and big jim by the end of the song here's a spoiler if you've somehow gone since 1975 without hearing this (laughs) big jim is dead killed by a pen knife in the back yeah. rosemary's on the gallows yeah it's a long song got a lot of good lyrics i love a lot it of, one of my favorites it was rosemary started drinking hard and yeah. seeing <laughs> and, uh, hang on and seeing her reflection in the knife she was uh-huh. tired of the attention tired of playing the role of big jim's wife she had done a lot of bad things even once tried suicide was looking to do just one good deed before she died she was gazing to the future riding on the jack of hearts yes And what I do take from this song is that the two women, Lily and Rosemary, end up being totally screwed over by a couple of guys. And, you know, sometimes Dylan is considered a misogynist, I think, lots of times by people who don't understand his lyrics or irony, things like that. But I've always felt whatever it is going on in this song and the murder, I feel like it was the Jack of Hearts 
that killed Big Jim. So my interpretation was always that, that yes, yeah. Jack of Hearts killed Jim, and Rosemary took the blame to let him go, the yeah. Jack of Hearts go, because had... she, she hated Big Jim anyway, and right. she figured, what the fuck, I might and, as well do it. And her good deed was, that was, her taken, good deed. was yeah. taken the fall, not killing him. And it ends, but just, I mean, I know there are people who don't like Dylan, but I I just love this stuff. You know, through the whole song, somebody's drilling through the wall, because that's how they used to get to the bank Mm -hmm. safes. So the final stanza, two doors down, the boys finally made it through the wall and cleaned out the bank safe. It said they got off with quite a haul. In the darkness by the riverbed, they waited on the ground for one more member who had business back in town, but they couldn't go no further without the jack of hearts. The next day was hang a day. The sky was overcast and black. Big Jim lay covered up, killed by a penknife in the back. And Rosemary on the gallows, she didn't even blink. The hanging judge was sober. He hadn't had a drink. The only person on the scene missing was the Jack of Hearts. The cabaret was empty now. A sign said closed for repair. Lily had already taken all of the dye out of her hair. She was thinking about her father, who she very rarely saw, thinking about Rosemary, and thinking about the law. But most of all, she was thinking about the Jack of Hearts. Yeah. And I do seem to remember, and this wasn't with John Radosta, but I remember at some point, another drunken thing years ago, getting in an argument with somebody <laughs> who said it was glorifying this Jack of Hearts guy. And I don't think it was. I think it was more showing how women live a different experience than men. Yes. And I just highly recommend it. It's a hard song to explain. Um, I don't think my brother Jimmy and I ever You have totally to listen to it about a million times. Right. And, and I love the musicality of it. I love... So, it really rumbles a lot. You know, it just moves the... You know what I mean? So... The, what was your so do you is your interpretation of what happens in the song the same as mine yeah that, that, that rosemary took that the call rosemary the takes the blame for yes. for jack of hearts yes. yeah and i'd have to drink a little and also listen to it several times to like parse like lily and jim and everything that's going on in it i that think lily was jim's girlfriend right. but also and, i think she had something going on with the jack of hearts yeah but. that both of the gals did <laughs> interestingly Sorry. enough my number seven is also by Bob Dylan. Wow. I thought you might have this one on your list, Hurricane. I it's do. kind of a no-brainer. I do have it oh, on my okay. list. It's okay, well, up. I'll talk about it. Mm. Yep. Written and performed by Bob Dylan, released 1976. I think a lot of people know this song and are familiar with the story behind it, which was depicted in the 1999 movie The Hurricane, starring Denzel Washington mm-hmm. as boxer Reuben Carter. The song tells a story about the shooting in a bar in Patterson, New Jersey. Three people were shot. In 1966, Reuben and his friend John Artis were arrested and convicted. And long story short, their convictions were overturned in 1988. Reuben died in 2016 of prostate cancer. And if you want to read the background of the do it, I'm talking about the song. Bob Dylan wrote the song after reading Reuben Carter's autobiography and meeting him in prison. One reason I love the song is, and I think that's why it's been so popular over the years, is the powerful music. The way it starts with the guitar and then that violin. The violin. Island going all through the song is so to me like the song's called Hurricane they're talking about Hurricane Carter and it just reminds me of like the wind or you know like yeah. Bob Dylan received criticism for pointing out the racism that <laughs> yeah. led to Reuben and John Artis's arrest and conviction then as now people don't like that yeah. he also got criticism from the song not being quote accurate and ignoring Reuben Carter's violent past and troubles with the law when he was a kid my response to that is it's a fucking song not a newspaper article I mean, do I think Ruben really wanted to ride a horse on the trail when he got out of jail? No. <laughs> and also to that end, I think even now we're still learning that just because a man 
or a woman has a sketchy past does not mean they deserve to be railroaded and no. put in prison for a crime they didn't no, commit. I know, I know. The song was played a lot on the radio when it first came out and is still played a lot on the radio. It was controversial because not only the subject matter, but Bob says son of a bitch and ass in the song. Yeah. <laughs> he also says the N word, but back then I don't think people cared about that as much. I'm not saying it wasn't a bad word, but right. it wasn't verboten like it is now. Back then you could say words that like word. that in context without... Yes. With getting, yeah. Right. See, I wrote here, I thought about doing Lily Grosemary and the Jack of Hearts, which I also love, but I picked this one mainly because it's overall popularity and the context in today's, you know, world. Right. Um, and my favorite lyric, <laughs> I think the one that I like to sing along to, but I use, the problem is I use Bob's <laughs> cadence. And um, so there he says... Remember that? <laughs> Remember that murder that happened in a bar? Remember you said you saw the getaway car? You think you'd like to play ball with the law? You think it might have been that fighter you saw running in the night? Don't forget that you are white. <laughs> I was gonna say because I'm gonna talk more about it when when it comes yes. up on my list. But I was gonna say you can't talk about that song without on that line. Anyway, so that is my number yeah. seven. My number seven is Powder Finger by, <gasps> by Neil I didn't Young. Pick that. I love that song though. It came out in nineteen seventy nine on the Rust Never Sleeps album. Yeah. It's another story song it and in another kind of vague where you're not really sure what's going on. But there's no doubt there are crimes being committed and it ends in a fatal shooting. Oh. It's told from the point of view of a young man, 22. It starts out, look out, mama, there's a white boat coming up the river with a big red beacon and a flag and a man on the rail. I think you better call John because it don't look like they're here to deliver the mail. And it's less than a mile away. I hope they didn't come to stay it's got numbers on the side and a gun, and it's making big waves. So you know something bad is going to happen. And this young man has been left to defend the family. I've, I always pictured it being like somewhere in the South, although Neil Young is Canadian, but somewhere rural where they're doing something illegal. And this is some kind of government yeah. Well, one of my favorite lines is, Daddy's gone, my brother's out hunting in the mountains. Big John's been drinking since the river took Emmy Lou. So the powers that be left me here to do the thinking. And I've always loved that line. I used to say that at work all the time. And I just turned 22. I was wondering what to do. And the closer they got, the more these feelings grew. And then he gets his father's gun and he ends up being shot. You never really know what's going on, but I think the feeling is more of just this uh, young life being snuffed out. It's uh, it got some graphic imagery. So he's, Daddy's rifle in my hand felt reassuring. He said, red means run, son. Numbers add up to nothing. But when the first shot hit the docks, I saw it coming. Raised my rifle to my eye. Never stopped to wonder why. Then I saw black and my face splashed in the sky. And then the final verse, shelter me from the powder and the finger. Cover me with the thought that pulled the trigger. Think of me as one you'd never figured would fade away so young with so much left undone. Remember me to my love. I know I'll miss her. And Aww. the uh, ironic thing about this song is after Neil Young wrote it, he sent it to Ronnie Van Zant of... Leonard Skinner. Yes, for them to record. 
before they could, he died and other members of the band died in Aww. the plane crash. So it's kind of I irony. I never knew that. Because it's about, and then Neil Young recorded it for on Rust Never Sleeps. And I think it's more, it, you know, it's from the point of view of somebody who's involved in something illegal or his family is. But kind of also, I think it's it grabs that feeling of it not being in control of your life and kind of being over your head and yes. but having to having to make a fatal mistake and also you know i don't know i can't tell you what different chords are or anything mm-hmm. like that but i do know neil young is awesome and the music <laughs> behind this song no i'm serious the music behind the song is just fantastic oh and, it um, is and so the way it starts too Right. It just starts it's like just a cold him. start or whatever right. you want to say. Right. You know, it's just like... Right. And Look it, out, Mama. There's a white yeah. coat coming. And it's, and it's so very good. stark. Yeah. So it's great I song. always pictured like some like river, like a... Not really a bayou, but something Yeah, like I was going to say some southern... That's why I say southern, like a reedy kind of... Yeah. And like he's in some like homestead that's right. like a... Yes. Some, yes. Some that's gross exactly, thing in the end Because I do and, say... I know we haven't... We mentioned it at the beginning and haven't talked about it a lot, but this is a song... And obviously it's not from my childhood but when Russ never sleeps I think yes. I got that album you know around the time it came good, out yeah. and it's one that where I can see it you, you know can I can see, see it. this yeah. it's very the story clear. happening exactly so your number six my number six you know it's funny we haven't i know you have one so we're gonna have one in common but so far and, like and the funny. ones you picked are are ones i really love and but you know what's funny Same is here. neither that one did not even come to my mind mm. i went through my cds to see if there was oh, something i was yeah. forgetting but it's also on my like i have it on my iphone and stuff but yeah. hurricane too the one we have in common is also the one you'll find on all those lists i know and i know it is and like i yeah. said it's it's a no-brainer, but I couldn't I ha- couldn't pass it up. I mean, okay. I, it's so it was so important. Yes. Okay, so my number six is Billy Austin, written and performed by Steve Earle, released mm. in 1990. Steve Earle has many, many crime-related songs and many anti-death penalty songs. I think this song is probably his first anti-death penalty song, or anti-capital punishment song. This song is written from the point of view of Billy Austin, who's the main character. This is something Steve does a lot in his songs, first-person point of view. He got in trouble for it in the early 2000s with his song, John Walker's Blues, about John Walker Lind, which I did consider doing, but I just decided not to. The young man who was dubbed the American Taliban after he was (laughs) captured in Afghanistan 2001 and imprisoned for being an enemy combatant. Because the song was empathetic to John Walker and because people are stupid, Steve Earle got a lot of shit for the song. I remember seeing him on the Today Show and Matt Lauer interviewed him about it and Matt was an idiot as usual. It's a first, just like the last song, just like Powderfinger. It's a first person point of view. It doesn't mean that you're condoning it. It doesn't mean anything. You're just, you know, it's a character. So the song Billy Austin is from the point of view of someone who commits a crime, but Billy is a fictitious character, unlike John Walker Lynn. Billy tells the listener he's 29 and a quarter Cherokee, he's told. He robs a gas station and kills the attendant. As he says, the kid done like a I told him he lay face down on the floor. Guess I n- I'll never know what made me turn and walk back through that door. Mm. Billy is a career criminal. He's robbed stations a hundred times, he says. He's convicted after a quick trial, and my favorite, one of my favorite lines, court-appointed lawyer couldn't look me in the eye. He just stood up and closed his briefcase when they sentenced me to die. I was a fan of Steve Earle before this song came out. The first time I heard the song was on his live album, 
Shut Up and Die Like an Aviator. My ex-husband Gordon had the cassette and I listened to it in the car constantly in 1991-1992. I know every song on that album by heart and it's what cemented my undying love for Steve Earle. At the end of the song, Billy says, I ain't about to tell you that I don't deserve to die, but there's 27 men here, mostly black, brown, or poor. Most of them are guilty, but who are you to say for sure? So when the preacher comes to get me and they shave off all my hair, could you take that long walk with me, knowing hell is waiting there? Could you pull that switch yourself, sir, with a sure and steady hand? And could you still tell yourself, sir, that you're better than I am? Mm, nice. And I always thought that was a powerful I haven't statement. heard that song in years. So, if no. you, so you think you, you know, you can kill somebody and you're better than me because I killed somebody you're killing. You know, that's the, that's the whole essence of it. So that is my number six. Mm. And I love Steve Earle. And I could have ten crime songs of Steve Earle's easily. Yeah. My number six is Life During Wartime by the Talking <gasps> Heads. I, Yes. I've been listening to that so much lately. But I didn't put that on my list, but I thought about it after, and I'm like, ah, but anyways. It, it came out in 1979 on their Fear of Music album. It's also in the awesome movie Stop Making Sense, you know, their concert mm. movie. That's, I think most people are familiar with the lyric, which isn't my favorite lyric, but this ain't no party, this ain't no disco, this ain't no fooling around. Oh, um, I say that all the time. So, me, t- you know. me too. It takes place, I want to say, because it's in the U.S., you know, he talks about Pittsburgh, and I always picture some kind of dystopian thing. Me and, you know, too. <laughs> Me too. And I, I'm not big on dystopia. And he did mention, <laughs> I heard him once in an interview where he mentioned, like, it was inspired by a whole bunch of things, and one of them was the Patty Hearst thing. Mm. And uh, Google that, people, if you don't know what it is, because I don't want to oh, get into it. Oh, there's some talk out about it now that I'm going to watch. Mm, I good. can't remember if it's on Netflix. Okay. Anyway. All so, right. I'm just saying people will know about it. Then. Right. And then Jeffrey, the masturbator, Tubin, also wrote Ew. a decent book about it that, fortunately, I read before he masturbated on Ew. Zoom because now I don't think I'd be able to read it knowing he did that. But I digress. This song, I'm a big Talking Heads fan. I like their music. On some of these lists, you'll see Psycho Killer yes. and some of their other songs. This song has always just it been one of those songs that's in my head yes. and happily there and when i was writing my second <laughs> book what i i can hear you snorting i'm laughing because i think you, you're smart. am i you supposed need to, plug to your not more no you have to plug them am i the supposed time. to not mention my book in no, the context of the song I just, was no. i supposed to leave the song off so no. i wouldn't be in a position to plug i'm not really plugging my book but when i was writing my second mystery novel no news is bad news this song kept going through my head, and the book is not dystopian. There were just things about this song, and it was going through my head so much that I ended up incorporating it into the yes. book. Put one of my favorite parts. Of if book. I could only get through a sentence. Um, and I had to, by the way, young writers, write to the music management company and pay for the rights to use the lyrics in my book. And if you get the book, you'll see there's e- there's even a legally thing in the front saying I did. Well, my book is not dystopian. It's a traditional amateur sleuth that takes <laughs> place in me. I felt like the tension, there are things that are happening where the tension is. I think the line that's first started putting it in my head is the sound of gunfire off in the distance. I'm getting used to it now. Mm. And in my book, it's hunting season in Maine. And you hear, like, at least where I live, you hear gunshots a lot. Yeah. And so I think that's what started it. 
But there are a lot of things, and it's another one of those songs where it could have a lot of different meanings, and you're not really sure necessarily what's going on. You ascribe your own meaning to it. It kind of builds, and the song, it feels like the tempo of the song gets faster and faster. One of my favorite verses is, I got some groceries, some peanut butter, Mm -hmm. to last a couple of days, which I say all the time when I'm out of food. But I ain't got no speakers, ain't got no headphones, ain't got no records to play. Why stay in college? Why go to night school? Gonna be different this time. Can't write a letter, can't send no postcard. I ain't got time for that now. And then I like, towards the end of the song, You make me shiver, I feel so tender, we make a pretty good team. Don't get exhausted, I'll do some driving. You ought to get you some sleep. Then the final line, burned all my notebooks. What good are notebooks? They won't help me survive. My chest is aching, burns like a furnace. The burning keeps me alive. The lyrics, Mm. the tension of the lyrics, along with the way the music is going, there's something desperate happening. Mm. They're obviously on the outs. They're obviously living on the lamb, living on the run. It's funny, back when I worked for a newspaper, one of the reporters said, we're out of notebooks. And I said, burned all my notebooks. What good are notebooks? They won't help me survive. And somehow, instead of realizing I was quoting a song, they thought I was being insulting. So what are you going to do? Uh, well, that's what people have. But- that song is one of the ones that, like, pretty much every line, though, is so Yes, and it, it's my good. favorite Talking Heads song. It really is. I love and- that song. I've listened to it so many times lately for it's some reason. It's one of those songs but- in the car when it comes on, yeah. you crank it up, and just like the opening music, you know, that driving mm-hmm. opening music of it, yeah. and it, it forced me to put it in my book. Yes. And, and I know you song. liked the part and of I my book. about it. <laughs> you told me at the time you liked the part of my book where, where they get <laughs> yes. in the car and she turns on the... It's she's super loud. Yeah, that okay. happens to me all the time. When you when you're in your car alone all the time, that happens a lot. Yeah, you turn somebody else gets in the car with you, and you realize how loud the music is yes. when you turn the car on you. But so, what's your number well, that five? Was number five, the night the lights went out in Georgia, uh, written by Bobby Russell, performed by Vicki Lawrence, released in 1972. Mm-hmm. I have so much to say about the song. Okay. This song is actually the impetus for this episode. Yes. I hadn't heard this song in a long time, but my work recently switched the Muzak station from Hot FM, or FM1, there's two horrible stations, to classic hits. The Hot FM and FM1 were at most places like Hannaford and Home Depot, because when I go in there, it's the same stupid songs I have heard every day for the last 10 years, and I cannot stand it. They have like 50 songs, that's over Mm -hmm. and over. And somebody figured out how to get into the electric room and switch it to classic hits, where Mm. there's only like five stations were allowed to listen to so we switched it to that and actually everybody who works there and the customers are always happy about the music now and it's songs from the 60s 70s and 80s well they know us boomers you know we want to hear we those love our songs. childhood songs yes. so there's still a rotation of about 50 songs but i don't right. mind them can yeah. i just say too while we're on the topic of of the music in the stores the Hannaford supermarket, for those of you who don't live in northern New England, plays classic hits. And one thing about wearing a face covering is you can sing along out loud and people don't know you're the one doing it. It depends on what. I think it's just like ours that they can change it at different stores because one of the stores I go to was the classic You're missing hits. my point. Yes, you can sing along. I sing along all day at work. Yeah, okay. Anyways, the Vicki Lawrence version of this song comes up at least once a day. It was during this where I I texted you and I'm like, we should do a thing about 
crime songs. And then we were trying to think of something to do for 100 episode. So that's what it came up to this. This song was written by Bobby Russell, who was a singer and songwriter. And I looked up his other songs, and the only one I recognized was Little Green Apples. So he was married to Vicki Lawrence, who's on the Carol Burnett show. As you know, she's an actor, was an actress and a comedian. He did his own songs, but he also sold songs to people. And he tried to have Cher do this song mm. um, because she had that story song, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, right. Remember that song? I still love that song. Yeah. But she wasn't interested. He thought it was a good song. So Vicki Lawrence recorded it, and it became the number one hit in 1970. Reba McIntyre also recorded it in the 1990s, and her remake is pretty good because it fits her, you know, whatever. It's a little livelier than Vicki Lawrence's, but it's similar. It's pretty much, the sounds almost the same. And Reba also did a remake of a Bobby Gentry song, Fancy, which is also a story song. And Bobby Gentry is a great songwriter and wrote one of the best songs of all time, which is the Ode to Billy Joe, Mm -hmm. which isn't really a crime song, but it's a very good story song. Right. And Bobby, by the way, Bobby Gentry's a woman for people. Yes, she's a woman. And she has been kind of a recluse for years, but she was pretty popular back in the late 60s and early 70s. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had that Harper Valley PTA song, too. (laughs) So anyways, the story of the song is a bit convoluted, but it's basically this. This guy, identified only as brother, comes back home after being gone two weeks. He stops at a bar and meets his friend Andy Wolo which is W-O-L-O, and I don't understand Andy's surname. It's shortened. Is it shortened from a longer name? I don't know. It's one Mm -hmm. of the many mysteries of this song. Andy tells brother that brother's wife has been sleeping with Seth Amos, and also Andy himself has slept with her. Brother gets pissed, and Andy gets scared, so Andy leaves the bar to walk home because he didn't live far. (laughs) Um, So brother also goes home and gets a gun and sneaks over to Andy's house, I guess to see if, you know, his wife is over there. I don't know. But at the same time, the song says he thought his wife had left town. So I don't know why he's going over to Andy's house, but that doesn't explain it. But brother sees small footprints, you know, going to Andy's house. So he assumes they're from his wife. Uh-uh. So he gets to Andy's house. He looks through the door and sees Andy dead on the floor in a pool of blood. So in one of the stupidest moves Ever, brother decides to shoot his gun to alert the sheriff's patrol who are making the rounds. So, of course, they think he killed Andy. And this is my favorite passage of the song. The Georgia patrol was making the rounds, so he fired a shot just to flag him down. A big-bellied sheriff grabbed his gun and said, why'd you do it? The judge said guilty in a make-believe trial, slapped the sheriff on the back with a smile, said, supper's waiting at home, and I gotta get to it. (laughs) I was like, I can relate. So, brother... Is hung for the crime, and we find out at the end of the song, spoiler alert if you've never heard the song, that the narrator, the younger sister, is the one who shot Andy, and she shot her sister-in-law, quote, and his cheating wife had never left town. That's one body that'll never be found. Mm -hmm. You'll see little sister don't miss when she aims her gun. Yeah. Okay, so my issues are many with this song, although I do love I do love the song. Yeah. But first of all, why the fuck would Andy tell his best friend that he slept with his wife? Oh, by the way, I slept with her. She's sleeping with this guy, but I slept with her too. But even with that, 
If the sister loves her brother so much that she'll kill his cheating wife <laughs> and one of the cheating wife's lovers, why can't she come forward so he doesn't get executed for killing Andy? She says she didn't have time before they hung him, hmm. but hello, it would have only taken like a couple minutes to say, oh, right. by the way, I'm the one that did it. And also the chorus where she's lamenting the system. Yes, the system sucked and they convicted her brother on scant evidence, but the reason they convicted him is because she fucking yes. killed Andy and didn't confess to it, so that's why they convicted her brother. So yes, maybe the system is bad, and she's saying don't trust a southern lawyer and the judge. Yeah, but that wouldn't have happened if she hadn't killed the people and let her brother take the blame right. for it. I always, as a kid, was very confused. Like I liked the song, but was very confused trying to figure out what. It makes absolutely yeah. no sense. Yeah. As I said, I do love the song. Yeah. It's very catchy. But also, the lights went out in Georgia. I was thinking of another song by Steve Earle where there, he's talking about the electric chair and saying when the lights would dim, everyone would cheer because that's when they killed right. the person. Right. Um, the lights wouldn't have gone out if for somebody got being hung. That was so one that of doesn't the, make sense either. That was one of the things that used to confuse me and then I thought, well, maybe she's saying it as like a metaphor. But yeah. I just feel like just a really dumb song. But I, I do love it and it had to go on my list. So yes. that was my number five. Okay. My number five. We're going to go in the Wayback Machine. Woo! Tom Dooley Woo! by the Kingston Trio, first recorded in 1958. And this song is based on a true story, which I'll get to in a minute. It starts out, hang down your head, Tom Dooley, hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, poor boy, you're bound to die. It's a pretty simple story. He went up on a mountain, stabbed a girl, and got caught. And now he's going to be hung. And this is a Kingston Trio song. And dad, dad and mom, I think it was dad's, mostly dad's taste, had a lot of Kingston Trio records that we listened to as kids. Mm, yeah. They had a lot of songs about crime. Tijuana Jail. Oh, I love Tijuana Jail. Me too. That's I a also funny did that song. one. There's a reason I did Tom Dooley that you know that I'll get to in a minute. And also, like, running through the Everglades, running like a dog. Oh, yeah. The guy, yeah. he's running from the law. So this is based on a true story. Tom Dulla, actually, D-U-L-A. But I guess down wherever he's from, they pronounce it Dooley. He had a girlfriend or lover, Laura Foster, in North Carolina in 1866, she was killed. He buried her body and fled to Tennessee, where he worked on a farm owned by Mr. Grayson until his true ah. identity was discovered. 1868, he was found guilty of murder, and he was put to death and hung. And from the thing I read, not from a white oak tree, as it says in the song, but from the gallows outside the courthouse in Statesville, North Carolina. And as a kid... What always confused me is the line, if it hadn't been for Grayson, I'd have been in Tennessee. And mm -hmm. there's no other reference to Grayson in the whole song. I so know. So it's like, why? We did have one album where they do a little monologue beforehand and kind of say who Grayson is. They do a lot of harmony and stuff. So as a little kid, the song was catchy. But the reason this song has always stuck in my head is <laughs> a crime song. It's in fourth grade in religion class at St. Albert's School in Kettering, Ohio. Our religion teacher, Sister Alice, who hated me. A lot of favoritism towards the popular girls. I, I think I can say their names because I'm sure they're not listening. Right? Kathy Shamel and what Susie Reisinger. Well, they can write me an email and apologize then. So she asked if anyone knew who Tom Dooley was. And me, 
being the the eager student that I was, oh, oh, raised my hand, so waving my hand. Cute. She called on me, and I said he stabbed a woman <laughs> and got hung for it. And I got sent to the office. No idea, as usual. And this has followed me into my adult life, what I had done wrong. And apparently Sister Alice thought I was being a wise guy because there was some fucking missionary, (laughs) Tom Dooley, in in Cambodia, like, in the 50s, who was, like, tortured and had, like, chopsticks driven through his ears as he tried to... Which, as a kid, it would have been very interesting to me if I had I known. So that's the Tom Dooley she was talking about. And I guess she wasn't a Kingston Trio fan. Aw, poor little mom. So that is my number five. In- ah, and with a very personal story. Yes. But also, it's, it, I mean, we were very young. And dad, our dad and his brother, uh, Uncle Joe, his brother, Uncle Joe, and some of their friends, and I think our Uncle Billy, before he died, used to get together and play guitars and banjo and sing songs. Becky, you might have been too young to remember. That. I remember. No, I don't. I remember it beer. Did, but yeah. But that, but, but that was one of the songs they sang because they sing a lot of Kingston Trio songs. Like nowadays, you think of how prissy parents are and everything. I know. If, if they let their kids listen to stuff like that, but um, I think it helped form our imaginations. Dad used to play certain songs and he'd say, this is your song. Right, And so the, right. the song that was mine was the, the slip, uh, the, that Beach Boy song about the granddaddy and me got in a fight. Right, Sloop John B. Sloop, Sloop John B. That I was almost, my that song. was almost on my list. Yeah, Charlie on the MTA was my song. I should I should have done that because it was my song. I love that song. I but, love that um, song. There's a good. I remember we I, had a dr- we had a drunken argument about what happened to the song. Whether yeah, it was yes. his- yeah. Let's not get into that now. But okay. um, Jerry Jeff Walker has a really good version of that. So my number four is is kind of an obvious one. Okay. Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny yes. Cash. These internet lists, several of them misspell Folsom. They spell F-U-L-S. Jesus. Which just goes to show that they're cutting and pasting each other's list. But anyway, go on. It's written and performed by Johnny Cash, released in 1957. Johnny has a lot of crime songs, and I know this is obvious, but our dad had Johnny's album, I Walk the Line, and actually it's the only vinyl album I still have. You know how older artists, especially country music artists, for some reason, they have a bunch of albums that have the same names and they have different songs on them and stuff, especially someone like Johnny Cash. But I have the original one, not the original one that dad had but i have a, a copy of that right, and that, right and i found it in a record store i had been looking for it i got rid of my vinyl albums and that you know a lot of people did i couldn't find that one anywhere and i was in a used record store and i was looking through johnny cash i was with gordon i said to the woman i wish i could find this one johnny cash album and i described the cover to her and she said you know what i think we just got some in from mm. somewhere and i think it's in pristine condition so wow. anyway that has nothing to do with anything but as you said earlier there was music playing in our home all the time and I remember this song from my earliest memories and especially the line that everybody knows mm-hmm. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die I love that line you know mama said, said be a good boy don't ever play with guns but I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die and I can't that's this line everyone remembers but it's just a very powerful line it's just a powerful stark way to to describe the sociopathic behavior of the narrator i mean he's a sociopath it's just like yeah i shot this he has no emotion about it he's not like oh i feel really bad that i shot that guy he feels bad that he's in prison 
So he's lamenting the fact he's stuck in prison while other people are free. He says he knows he had it coming, but he doesn't seem to be really sad about his crime. Yet, even though the narrator's an asshole, I think people, listeners, kind of empathize with the fact that he he feels bad that he's in prison and how much it sucks to be in prison. And also just the guitar. He has that, you know, talking about the train, you know, hearing the train make the, just the imagery of it. The guy's in prison. He hears the train and the train makes him think of people on the train going places and he's never going to go anywhere. The way the guitar is in that song that, you know, kind of like a train. It's just a really just a great song so i had to put it on my list and it's number four yes and and, and i love johnny and johnny has tons too. of and one of the funny things is that false belief people have that he wrote it because he was in oh because he was in prison no and he actually for pills once yeah. yeah so my number four is hurricane she already did the first time i heard this song there was a lot of hype about it and bob dylan was on a show that used to be on TV called Austin City Limits. Ah, yeah. And Jimmy and I watched it, and I had a cassette tape recorder. Mm -hmm. And we recorded it with my cassette recorder, and then laboriously... I remember you guys writing the... Wrote down all the lyrics. We went... So we could try to figure out the song. I won't go over all the same ground you did, but I would have been 15 at the time. It was kind of one of those first realizations about how the justice system worked. You know, I'm not going to say I became totally, my eyes were totally opened, but systemic racism, although we didn't call it that back then, could mean a man could be falsely convicted. And it was a very powerful thing to realize. And the song made a huge impact on me. The lines you quoted is probably ones I remember. Um, Don't forget that you are white. But, but I also, the lines, all of Ruben's cards were marked in advance. The trial that, was a yeah. pig's circus. He never had a chance. The judge made Ruben's witnesses drunkards from the slums. To the white folks who watch, he was just a revolutionary bum. People can complain that it's not accurate or or whatever. And again, it's not a documentary. It's not a news story. It's a fucking song. But the story it told, and he has all the details in there. You know, about witnesses lying and all that shit. You know, the story he tells in it is a very powerful story. I think that's one reason we wanted to get those lyrics down and then figure it out. You know, back then Mm -hmm. there was... No internet is no. Everybody there's no knows. way to look it up. It was the only unless he got had the album with lyrics on the sleeve. Just the way it starts, pistol shots ring out in the barroom night. Mm. Enter Patty Valentine from the upper hall. She sees a bartender in a pool of blood. Cries out, "My God, they've killed them all!" And then he goes, "And here comes the story of the hurricane." Mm-hmm. I I still get chills from yeah, this song. Yeah. I get chills from it. I know that sounds melodramatic. But well, it's like I said, it's the music too. It's that air, that violin is the thing that really, yes. just like the combination, the combination you know. of the music and the words. And I know there are people, one line I hate from people who don't like Dylan, you know, his music's okay. I just can't stand his voice. To mm. me, his voice, it, the expression in it and everything adds a lot to the music I and love songs voice. like this. Me I too. love the way he sings. I do too. I don't... Anyway, so that was my number four. Okay, speaking of voices, number three is Strange Fruit. 
written by Abel mm, Miracle. I thought of having that. Performed by Billie Holiday, released in 1939. After this last year, I think a lot of people are familiar with this song, who were not previously, due to the 2021 movie on Hulu, I think it was, The United mm. States versus Billie Holiday, which yes. I think the actress won a Golden Globe. I didn't watch that. I didn't no. watch it. I don't watch TV. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get too much into the backstory because it's easy to look up if you don't already know. Abel Mirapool was a son of Russian Jewish immigrants, and he was a teacher and a member of the Communist Party, which a lot of people were back then in the 1930s, and he did later quit the party. As a communist, he supported civil rights for all. And I know communism nowadays, the word has a bad connotation, but the Communist Party was different back then. So it's after the World War II. Right. It started, we need a new enemy. And not that I'm saying that communism in Russia was good, because anyway. it wasn't. He was a poet, and the lyrics to Strange Fruit are his response to a news photograph of lynched men. He was also kind of a composer, and he set it to music. And he gave it to someone who was a club owner, and that person gave it to Billie Holiday, who wanted to record it and then that movie is all about her problems because of recording and there's actually an episode recently uh the podcast american scandal did an episode which i never listened to either yeah it's good but that episode about it's good if people want to know more about it and i don't remember when i first heard this song but i know for some reason it was saved on my computer back in the late 1990s and every day when i started up my computer i'd listen to it because i loved it so much And it's a short lyrics, and I'm going to read it because as a poem, I think it's very powerful. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolias, sweet and fresh, then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is the fruit for crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the tree to drop. Here is the strange and bitter crop. Not that I'm a poet expert, but I think good poetry distills the meaning of what they're trying to say into the best words, but the least, you know, like the least best words. You get the whole idea of what the poet is saying you don't need more words for this and i think just like it's it's succinct and powerful and horrific just like the photograph he looked at and i just think that billy holiday was a perfect person to sing Mm -hmm. the song and i think it's it's a short song it's very moving and it was courageous of her to sing it It because they destroyed her she sung it they told her they'd ruin her if she kept singing it memo to everybody out there if your government doesn't want you talking about something, then it means there's a problem. You gotta keep talking about right. it. Right. Nikki and I had gone to Chicago. I can't remember when. My mind's a blur, but it, it must have been 15 years or so ago to visit my friend Ann Pax. And our last day there, we had some time to kill. Ann lived in a suburb, and we took the train in to the city, and then had some time to kill before we got to the airport. And I just remember it was a brutally hot day and I think it was a Sunday there was like nobody around and there was this history museum and we went in there to actually get cool and they had a exhibition that's been traveling or at the time was traveling around the United States of postcards of lynchings yeah because they used to make postcards as Bob yeah. Dylan says you know they there's a yeah in the song um Tessellation Row it was 
startling, not that we didn't know lynchings had happened and hadn't seen pictures of them before, but to see a room filled with hundreds of postcards, it shook us up. I think if Nikki were here, if she ever listened to our podcast, she would say that too. And it's funny because that song started kind of going through my head. Now my number three, I'm going to feel a little silly after all that. I can't wait. My number three is another Bruce Springsteen song. Incident on 57th Street. Ooh, I love that one, too. I thought about that one, too. It's another one of those songs where there's criminality, but it's more poignant about feelings, the people's feelings, their uncertainty. It's got two characters, Spanish Johnny, you know, because it's Bruce. They're a little... It's And um, Jane, she kind of wants him to hang out, and he's got stuff... He's trying to woo her, but he's also got the stuff going on he has to get to. The first time I heard him sing it in concert, when we went to Montreal, did you go to yes. see him? Yes, and you said something like, if he sings Incident on 34th Street, 57th. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, 57th Street, I'm going to scream or something. I'm going to go insane. Yes, I'm going to go insane. And then he sang it. Well, <laughs> there's a second chapter to that. So, so then he sang it at a lot of concerts, but... You know, on the album, The Wild, The Innocent, and The Eastery Shuffle. Yeah, I love that album. It ends, and there's a piano yes. solo, and it goes right into Rosalita yes. without stopping, yes. right? So I always yes. used to say, wouldn't it be awesome yes. if he went from that song into Rosalita? And he never did, and he never did. And then in September of 2016... Nikki, her husband Todd, their daughter Elise, and I went to see him play at Gillette Stadium. We had shitty seats, as usual. Hmm. And I realized at some point, we'd been drinking, I admit, that he was playing all the songs from his first album in order. Uh, then he started playing oh all the songs my God. from his second album in order. I and I died. turned to Nikki, and of course it was, yes, it was so loud it was hard to hear, but I was screaming at her, He he's going to do it. He's going to go from Incident on 57th oh. Street into Rosalita. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And then, of course, he did. And I think if you look on Nikki's Facebook page, you can find a video of that moment. Fortunately, it's so loud you can't really hear me screaming and stuff. But, you know, and we were talking about the great poetry of St- Strange Fruit and Bob Dylan. And, you know, I'm a huge, obviously, Springsteen fan. And I'll be the first to admit, he tries hard with his lyrics, and especially his early songs. He doesn't always hit the mark. I do think this song does have some... Uh, yes poignant lyrics you know and i think some of it he's just trying to put words down that feel something and it doesn't necessarily make sense You'd, but one of my favorite favorite lines and i think i wish nikki was listening to this because i think she likes this one too johnny was sitting on the fire escape watching the kids mm. playing down the street he called down hey little heroes, hey, little heroes. <clears throat> sorry summer's long but i guess it ain't very sweet around here anymore Janie sleeps in sheets, damp with sweat. Johnny sits up alone and watches her dream on, dream on. I think it's more of a feel of the song. And he's obviously involved in some kind of petty crime. And he's a criminal. And it's kind of more important to him than his relationship. But there's a human side to people 
who live these lives that I think some of the people we've talked about have captured. And I think that's one reason I like the song. I also like the tune. I just like the way it goes. I like the way oh, the words a, I like together. the tune. Yeah. And I like that even the one that comes after that passage where she said Chain moves over, to share, over pillow, to share her pillow. But opens her uh, eyes to see Johnny up yeah, and putting his clothes yes, on. Yes. And she says those romantic, those romantic young boys. All they want to do and then is they fight. go, those romantic young boys. All they yeah. ever want to do just is said, fight. Just those romantic about young boys. Song. They're calling through the window, hey, Spanish, hey, Spanish Johnny, Johnny wanna you want to make a little, make a little easy, easy money, money tonight. tonight. And it's kind of soft and sweet, like the thing at the end, you know, good night, it's all right, Jane. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. meet you tomorrow night on Lover's Lane. Oh, we can find it out on the street tonight, baby, or we may walk until the daylight, maybe. Maybe. There's just kind of a sweetness but sadness to it, so it's not some tough crime song, but... No, but it's, it's, it's I love that song. That's a very poetic song of his, It too, is. It? There's something in me, I guess, that likes kind of long, meandering songs if they have a feeling to them in the music to them and the words that yes. kind of... But we're getting down to the wire. Yes. So what's your number two? <laughs> number two. You're going to love this number two. Okay. Shark and Cockroach. Oh, written yeah. And per- yes. Written and performed by Ian, Ian. Tyson. Oh, yes. 1971. I, I would it. say Ian and Sylvia, but Sylvia's not in it, so fuck her. He's one of my favorite singers, by the way. Oh, his voice is one of my favorite was, voices. Was. You know, he got I some know. virus. He got some virus that ruined his voice. Oh, the most beautiful so. voice, though. Oh, I, I, I swear. This song is another one that's been around since I was a child, obviously. Mm-hmm. Our parents loved Ian and Sylvia and had all their albums. There's always music in our, our house, as we said. Interesting though, YouTube, I found the song, but the lyrics, you cannot find the lyrics to the song anywhere on the internet. I knew most of them, but a couple of lines are very hard to understand because of the way he's singing I, it. I actually have a, I wrote a it CD down. With, okay. Oh, you have the CD with the with the lyrics on no, it? No, I don't no, have no, the lyrics. no, no, not. No, I have a CD with the song on it too, but it's right. easier to play it on YouTube. Right. And I slowed it way down so I could figure out exactly so what like he was the saying. Shark. Actually though, even at half, no, half at half speed it sounds it still sounds really really good. One caution. On the same album is the song Barney and it shows up on YouTube. So if you hadn't if you hadn't listened to this, if you like the song, if you, if you like the song and think, "Yeah, I really like that. I want to hear more." Oh look, here's the song Barney by Ian and Sylvia. Just be prepared. It's about a guy who has to put his horse down and it's really heart-wrenching. Although Ian Tyson has a beautiful voice and in yes, this song his him. voice his voice is beautiful and it is a beautiful song and I did listen to I made myself listen to it today because it came up again and for those of you he's Canadian and for those mm-hmm. of you who may not be familiar his most famous song he wrote the song Four Strong Winds. Yes. Uh, Neil Young kind of made it famous but Ian's version of it is absolutely it's beautiful. beautiful. And he wrote the song Someday Soon that Susie Boggess sings. Yes. And a lot of other songs. A he's a, other he's songs. a really good songwriter. Yeah. Um, the Shark and the Cockroach, it's called Shark and the Cockroach, is not heart-wrenching at all. I picked it because it's a great song. And Ian Tyson is a great poet. The narrator in the story has two acquaintances that he, the narrator, is somehow involved with. He never really specifies. This is a quote. Billy DeLion was a cockroach. He could go without food for days. You could shine a bright light on him and watch him run ten different <laughs> ways. And I remember that song. Yeah. line from when I was little. 
And then the other guy is Frankie, and Frankie was a long gray shark. He dealt in girls and loans. All they seen is the blood on Frankie boy's hands, but they ain't never found the bones. That's how he describes both of the other two guys. The narrator finds out that Frankie is fooling around with his woman, so he leaves his house knowing Frankie will show up to meet the girl. Then he sneaks back and comes in through the kitchen door. And the very last sound old Frankie boy heard was the roar of my 44. Mm -hmm. The end of the song is revealed that it was all a setup. Billy DeLion and the woman the narrator loves laugh as they pass by the jail together where he's in a, quote, cold little cell. Mm -hmm. They apparently set him up to kill Frankie and he was going to go to jail so they could be together. And I'm assuming there was some monetary gain for them being criminals. There really isn't any explanation. He just tells about how he killed Frankie and then they're laughing at him. Mm -hmm. So when I was searching for the lyrics, which was unfruitful, I found a poem by Elder Olson from 1987 called Shark and Cockroach. It's a short poem, but the last stanza is, Consider them, both insatiably voracious, forms old almost as life, so quickly perfected since hardly changed, their maker satisfied. There you have it, a glimpse of the great design, and so far fulfilled. And yes, your place is in it, the cosmic blueprint, mindless appetite, predator, scavenger, all the rest, mere food. Mm. I thought that was an interesting compliment to the song. What I like about the song is it's fast and lively, but the imagery of the shark and the cockroach, at the beginning of the song, he says, and he, he repeats it at the end, the shark and the cockroach, neither one's a friend of man. They were waiting right behind him when the journey through time began. Mm. When the blood begins to billow, the old pulse is growing dim. The shark, he circles in the cockroach waist to see what's left for him. Mm. And yeah. he sings and it with some kind of, with some force, too. He sings know. it. It's very fast. Yes. That's why it was hard to, the lyrics. Yeah. His voice is wonderful. Definitely, we have been listening to Ann Tyson's music (laughs) since we were born, I would think. Mom and Dad had those albums. You know, I write, and I feel like on the Prevention commercials, we write. (laughs) I've always been interested in words and how they're put together and how they make you feel. I, I can remember being very young and trying to figure out the meanings of songs. Like, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, which was yeah. on that Johnny Cash album. Before I ever knew it was a Bob Dylan song, I'm like, so does he love her? Doesn't he love her? But <laughs> Ian Tyson's music, the words to his songs are so evocative. They are. That they, um, like that, that song Red Velvet, you know, you can't I keep love Red that Velvet song. on a I porter love that song. I should have yes. known... Before we kiss, summer wages. Oh my God, the that line, song too. Yeah, the line. Oh, so I worked. Shoes. Yeah, so I worked yeah. on the towboats in my slippery city shoes. Yes, that which song. I swore that I'd never do again. That those lot. That but then line about the, the next slippers. line through the yeah. gray gray fog bound straits where the cedars stand watching. Mm. I mean, when I was a little kid, I had no idea what half of that stuff meant. I know, but. The words get into your head. And that's one mm-hmm. thing when I was saying, people may have been thinking I was a little glib at the beginning when I was talking about parents not letting kids listen, you know, having to listen to the wiggles or whatever. And it's like, let them listen to stuff like that. You I know? know. That one line about, you know, when I work on the towboats in my slippery, silly shoes, uh, that's this line I remember forever that one line tells you so So much i swore i would never do again that one line tells you like he never thought he would be back here and here he is yep you know and even as a little kid doing something that that. makes him uncomfortable and and this 
Right. And, like, that's the same thing. Like, the one about... Now I want to go listen to some Ian and Sylvia. Well, and that cock... You know, you could shine a bright light on him and watch him run ten different ways. Right. That is so... Such a good descriptor. And it's the kind of thing, like, I always remembered when I was a kid when yes. that song. Yeah. I just... It, it's funny. Just, one of one of their songs, though it's an old folk song, it's not one that he wrote, is in the book I'm writing now. Viva, I can't pronounce the French. Oh, that one. The Viva one we used to or whatever. right. The yeah. one we used to call yeah, ba 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 bon. Yeah. Well, yeah. the words. Look up the lyrics in English. It's actually about. It's actually a crime song. It's about somebody. He has two swans, and one of them is shot. You know, and it's a metaphor. So that that was your number two. Very yes. good number two. I knew you'd love it, and you'd well, be surprised. Okay, my number two is. Mm-hmm. Alice's Restaurant. I almost picked that. By Arlo oh, Guthrie. 1967. Yes. And I want to warn anyone whose interest is peaked. It is 18 minutes long. Listen to the original. There are some live versions, but it became such a thing. Like, I yeah. find the live versions are a little too cutesy. But for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's based on, very loosely based on, something that really happened Arlo Guthrie, Woody Guthrie's son, was a folk singer, and he and some friends went to Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where their friend Alice, I can't remember her last name, she lived in this old church, and they crashed there, and they dumped some garbage and were arrested. And it ends up being an anti-war song and going into all this, and the anti-war stuff and everything's great. But my favorite part of the song has always been, and it was Thanksgiving. In the in the song, it's Thanksgiving. I always play this on Thanksgiving. He's got some really clever turns of phrase, and he tells a funny story. And it's like talking, that folk, you know, kind of talking, yeah. singing. But one of my favorite parts is when they have to go to court for the littering. And yeah. like Officer Obi, everything he says is kid. I'm going to put you in a cell, and I want your wallet and your belt. And I said, Obi, I can understand you want my wallet, so I don't have any money to spend in the cell, but what do you want my (laughs) belt for? And he said, kid, we don't want any hangings. And I said, Obi, did you think I was going to hang myself for littering? And Obi said he was making sure. But But my favorite part, Officer Obi, in investigating the crime, took 27 8x10 colored glossy pictures with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one. And then it turned out the judge was blind. He had a seen eye dog. <laughs> and he goes, Obi looked at the seen eye dog. And then at the 27 8 by 10 color glossy <laughs> pictures with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one and looked at the seen eye dog. And then at the 27 8 by 10 color glossy pictures with circles and arrows and a paragraph back of each one and began to cry. Because Obi came to the realization that it was a typical case of American blind justice and there wasn't nothing he could do about it. And the judge wasn't going to look at the 27, 8 by 10, color glossy pictures. But anyway, ultimately, spoiler if you haven't heard the song, he ends up getting drafted to go to Vietnam. But because he was arrested for littering, they won't take him. The <laughs> army won't take him. And... And it's a great song, but you need um, 18 minutes to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's funny, but it also makes some good points about the criminal justice system, about the draft, about the military. Yeah. You know, one of the famous lines people probably remember is he got sent to the psychiatrist and he goes, shrink, I want to kill, I want to kill. And then the psychiatrist goes, you're our boy. <laughs> I know, yeah. But then yeah. when he tells them he was arrested for littering, the guy makes him go because he's been arrested to sit on the Group W bench. 
And he says, and I walked over to the bench there, and there is Group W, where they put you if you may not be moral enough to join the army after committing your special crime. And there was all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly-looking people on the bench there. Mother rapers, father stabbers, father rapers, father rapers sitting right there on the bench next to me. And they were mean and nasty and ugly and horrible crime-type guys sitting on the bench next to me. And the meanest, ugliest, nastiest one, the meanest father raper of them all was coming over to me, and he, and he was mean and ugly, nasty and horrible and all kind of things. And he sat down next to me and said, Kid, what what do you get? And I said, I didn't get nothing. I had to pay $50 to pick up the garbage. And he said, what were you arrested for, kid? And I said, littering. And they all moved away from me on the bench. <laughs> and it's uh, I think it can be considered a novelty song in a lot of ways. Yeah. But he makes a lot of good points, and it's, uh, and it's a lot of fun to listen to. Yes, I love that song. And people of a certain age, like us and older, know many lines from it, and you still hear people saying them today. And I do like that song. I hear it at least on Thanksgiving. They usually play it on the... Now we're at the moment... Number one! Okay, my number one. Mm-hmm. is Tom Ames' Prayer, written and performed by Steve Earle, released 1995. Mm. So I have two St- Steve Earle songs on my list. Mm-hmm. I don't like picking favorites or ranking things, but this is one of my favorite songs, period. And so it stands to reason. It would be one of my favorite crime-related songs. It's a song sung both in third and first person. The first part is a narrative that gives the background into Tom Ames' childhood and his life of crime. And the second part is Tom's thoughts. Tom's lived a life of crime and escaped from jail by holding a homemade knife to the throat of a minister and getting the key from the deputy. But now he's trapped in an alley in Abilene with all but four shells spent. Mm-mm. Then the song goes, and he realized praying was the only thing he hadn't ever tried. He wasn't sure if he knew quite how, but he looked up to the sky and said, You don't owe me nothing, and as far as I know, Lord, I don't owe nothing to you. And I ain't asking for a miracle, Lord, just a little bit of luck will do. And you know, Lord, I ain't never prayed before, but it always seemed to me, praying's the same as begging, Lord. I don't take no charity. And then he continues to tell his story, and my favorite line at the end, he says, Yeah, but who in the hell am I talking to? There ain't no one here but me. And then he cocked both his pistols and spit in the dirt and walked out in the street. And that's the end of the song. Mm. And I first got this CD when it was first released because I love Steve Earle. The CD is called Train A-Comin'. I love this song the first time I heard it. I said I love songs that tell a story. And the unusual structure of this song is what I like. There's a setup of the third person talking about everyone in Nagadoches knew Tom Ames would come to some bad end. And then it goes on and on. And then it says he's trapped in an alley in Abilene. And then it starts in with his thoughts where he's saying this kind of a prayer. He's basically saying, you know, I don't never prayed, but here I goes. And then he's like, why am I even bothering? And then we know that he is going to die because he's walking out in the street. He's surrounded and he knows this is the end of his life. And it's just that the whole story of his life is in this one song. And the way it's written is just so every word is important in it. Steve Earle is probably my favorite songwriter as Mm. a performer. I love him so much. As you and I have often talked about well, in writing, character development is so important for good yes. writing. And I feel like with his songs, whatever the point of view, he creates a character. I already talked about Billy Austin, but he has so many. And Copperhead Road is mm. probably one of his most famous songs. I Ain't Ever Satisfied, Tenny Town, Ellis Unit One, which is about a guy that works on death row. Mercenary Song, Dixie 
Dixieland, Carrie Brown. That's just, I mean, there's so many where he's created this character, even in his like love songs, even if it's not about yes. a certain character, it's, there's a point of view, a specific point of view. Ones where he gets into the head of characters are really good. Yes. And he, like I said, I could do a whole one of him. This was, that's why that yeah. was my favorite song. I just feel like the the song itself is always, I've always thought, what is a sh- kind of a short song, but it's just and, perfect and I th- in the structure. Yeah. And I used to have that album, that CD, and I don't know whatever happened to it. But one of the things I always liked about that song is the way it ends. He could have added one more verse where he goes out and gets shot and it would have ruined it. Well, yeah. not ruined it because it's a good song. But, you know, he knows how to, to, yeah. how to end it to make... Yeah, that's always my favorite thing. It's right. just like he cocked both his pistols and spit in the dirt and walked out in the street. Right, yeah. And he just ends it right there. Yeah, yeah. I think that song is on some of those lists on the internet. Cause it might be. Now you're making me want to get some Steve Earle music back on my... So what thing. is your number one? My number one song is... The Midnight Special. <gasps> Ooh! And everybody who's listening has probably heard some version. It was first written down in 1905. Yep. The version I'm most familiar with is Credence Clearwater Revival, yep. one of my all-time favorite bands. But this is a song Dad and Uncle Joe Dad used to sing it, yeah. Used to sing and stuff. It's not like we were from the world's most woke family. I mean, we we were very white people who lived in white neighborhoods. But this song was very evocative to me from a young age. It was on a Kingston Trio album, I'm sure, and everybody sang it. I mean, millions of people sang it. I always pictured the people in it as black. And I uh, me felt, too. And I felt some kind of sympathy. Now, this is going to sound, uh, I don't know, phony or whatever to people, but I really mean this sincerely, that I think it helped me as a kid to begin to understand that there are people whose lives are different than ours just by virtue of the color of their skin and stuff mm-hmm. who have problems that we'll never have. It's a short song, so I'm going to read some lyrics and excuse any type of um, dialect type stuff. That's the way the song is. And the different versions, it, most versions are the same. There may be different words here and there. This is the Credence Clearwater. While you wake up in the morning, you hear the work bell ring, and they march you to the table, you see the same old thing. Ain't no food upon the table, ain't no pork up in the pan, but you better not complain, boy, you get in trouble with the man. And then the chorus, let the midnight... Sorry. Let the midnight special shine a light on me, is the chorus, the midnight special is a train, and I always took that to mean they wanted to get on the train and get out of there. And mm-hmm. then my favorite verse is the next one, and I have a, just a, have my entire life had, had a v- movie in my head with this verse. Mm-hmm. Yonder come Miss Rosie, how in the world did you know, by the way she wears her apron and the clothes she wore, umbrella on her shoulder, piece of paper in her hand, okay. she come to see the governor, she want to free her man. I and love that. I just picture this woman, and I always pictured her in a like kind of skirt and jacket uh-huh. set that, which I don't know because she wouldn't be wearing that, but a black woman with a little pillbox hat on. I picture her with a hat. I pictured a lady in a dress, not a not a uh, business dress, but like one of those house dressy dress type of right. thing, but with a and hat. She's going, and I picture her going up the steps yes. of like this government building. Yeah. Um. 
And I always felt like it wasn't going to end no. well. I know. And then the yep, last same. verse, which I also like, is, If you're ever in Houston, well, you better do right. You better not gamble. You better not fight, Lord. Or the sheriff will grab you, and the boys will bring you down. The next thing you know, boy, well, you're prison bound. And yep. I think Dad, when Dad and those guys just sing it, they always said Jailhouse Bound. Jailhouse Bound, yeah. They... But this song, there's a reason it's been sung for over 100 years. Yeah. Although it's kind of funny, you'd think that would give people some kind of understanding. Yeah, here we are in 2021. Well, I think that there's a lot of people that feel like, well, that's that's somebody else's story, not mine. Right. You know, that's that's their life. I don't have to worry about that. You know, I mean, it's right. sadly, that's how people... The Credence Clearwater version, I love the way it starts, you know, well... And I'm not going to say I it, love it. I like it, too. And it's another one of those songs that's got a jaunty beat. I do feel it's it's a song that can be underrated. Yes. That it actually... I, I forgot about it. And, well, it's on my... You know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts in the car these days, but when I used to listen to music all the time, it's always been on my playlist. Me and it's too. the kind of song when it ends, I'll play it over because it's so short. One of the reasons it's my number one, besides the fact that it still speaks to a situation that's on everybody's minds these days, is even as a little kid, it put images in my head that I think mm. led me later in life. Uh, when, how am I trying to say this? Even as a little kid, there was an understanding. I'm not saying we had this full understanding of racism or anything else, but just a, a sympathy or a, a realization that our world was not the same as other people's mm-hmm. worlds. Exactly. And it gave some feeling of... Um, well, I think that life isn't fair for everybody. I mean, it's not the right. same for everybody. But it set a foundation for... So the, so that there wasn't some big revelation later in life that, wait, mm. what? Yeah. The, yeah. the law and the government treat black people differently exactly. than us? That they'll get thrown in jail for no reason? They get treated like shit? Really? Yeah. Also, the song's been around so long... And so oh, many yeah. people have sung it. I feel like it's a foundation, too, for it is. a lot of other music. Definitely. Yeah, the, I mean, it's funny, though. Like, even though I love that song, and and uh, all the songs on your list, I know them all. And it's funny how I didn't think of some of them, because there's just so many, I, I guess. Know. When you said we should do this, that's the first song I thought of. But then we have some honorable mentions. I have an honorable mention song. It almost made my list. There's so many versions that I can't possibly pick one. Mm-hmm. It's been around for over 100 years. Ooh. The lyrics and some of the details are different on each version, but the story is essentially the same. That Frankie and Johnny were lovers, mm. but Johnny was fooling around. Frankie sees Johnny with the other woman, you sometimes named Nellie Bly in the songs. Mm-hmm. Who is also was a newspaper reporter. Yeah. She isn't the same person. And Frankie shoots Johnny and kills him. The first recorded version, and I'm sure this was a traditional ballad that, you know, was right. sung for years. The first recorded version was in 1904 by um, Huey, some canon, I think. I couldn't find it online. But the first one I found online was uh, 1929, Jimmy Rogers. In his version, Frankie goes to the bar to buy a bucket of beer, which I said, yum. Mm-hmm. And the bartender tips her off that Johnny's fooling around doing her wrong, he says. So she goes and looks over a transom and sees Johnny making love to Nellie 
Bly on a cot and she shoots through the door and kills him. And the last lines of the Jimmy Rogers version say, the story has no moral. The story has no end. The story just goes to show you there ain't no good in men. Mm-hmm. He was her man. He was doing her wrong. So Boy, then, for an honorable mention, you have a lot to say about it. I like this song. Pearl Bailey's 1949 version, The Soda Jerk is the one that tells Frankie of the affair. And Pearl makes the editorial comment, I don't blame her, after singing how Johnny done Frankie wrong and she shot him. And then Sam Cooke had a version in 1963 where a friend tells Frankie that Johnny and Nellie were riding around in a Jaguar and she sees them in a swinging place and shoots them. And at, well, Johnny asks Nellie, why'd you do it and that's part of the chorus and then sarah tidwell had a 2001 version and the bucket of beer is in this version so i liked it and her version is pretty enjoyable because she has a really good voice but there are literally hundreds of versions and it's usually the same story yeah but it's stood the test of time okay well Um, i've got one too that's very similar to that that was first published in 1911 and has been sung by yeah. everybody, including the Grateful Dead. And that is Stagger, oh. Staggerly. It's a story of a gambling debt, and the guy ends up going into the bar and shooting somebody in a bar. It's one of those songs that was in the black lexicon, you know, that black people sang, and then around the 50s or 60s, white people started singing uh-huh. it too, you know. The night was clear and the moon was yellow and the leaves came tumbling down. I was standing on the corner when I heard my bulldog bark. He was barking at the two men who were gambling in the dark. It was Staggerly and Billy, two men who gambled Uh late. Staggerly threw seven. Billy swore that he threw eight. Staggerly told Billy, I can't let you go with that. You have won all my money and my brand new Stetson hat. Uh-oh. Staggerly went home and he got his 44, said, I'm going to the bar room just to pay that debt I owe. Staggerly went to the bar room and he stood across the bar room door. He said, nobody move, and he pulled his 44. Staggerly cried Billy, oh, please don't take my wife. I've got three little children and a very sickly wife. Staggerly uh-huh. shot Billy. Oh, he shot that poor boy so bad till the bullet came through Billy and it broke the bartender's glass. I gotta say, it's gotta be the first rock and roll song. Oh, yeah. You know, back before, decades before rock and roll was a thing. And it's one of those songs, when you hear it, you just start rocking out. But my other, I'm not going to go into a long thing. I, I have six honorable mentions. Okay. I thought you were going to have on your list, I Don't Like Mondays. Oh, because you had I didn't even Brenda, think of that. Because you had done Brenda Spencer. Yes. It's pretty bad that I didn't even think of that. Thank okay. you, Boomtown Rats, for mate for that poor woman. And listen to our episode about yeah. her if you don't. Although but, I do like that but, song. Okay. Um, speaking of Ian Tyson, hmm. Spanish is a loving tongue. I love that song. Another classic, The Guy Can't Go Back, because... Also, they have an interracial relationship. Yeah, they do, but he can't... But, you but know yes, that. he can't go back. He can't cross the line, you he know. He can't cross the line, you know. Haven't seen her since that night. I can't cross the line, you know. They want me for the gam- for a gambling fight. Like it's not, it's better so. So it's not a big crime. And also, Liam Clancy of the Clancy Brothers has a great Ooh. version of that, too. So I had that. Liam I Clancy. have. I had Folsom Prison, which you had. And then mm. my other three, Lawyers, Guns, and Money, which I mentioned... Yes. I fought the law. Yes. Which is another one everybody's... Which I hear at work all the time, now that we're on the oldies. Right. The the Del Shannon or whoever. And 
I shot the sheriff. Oh! But I did not shoot the deputy. And so I had the ones that didn't make my list that I thought about that I remembered from my childhood. Indiana wants me by R.D. Oh, yeah. Taylor. Yes, but yeah. he's mostly whining. But I can't go back there. Yeah, he I always whining. thought, even when I was a kid, I thought he was whining. Yeah, yeah he's just like, um, Smack Water Jack by Carol King. That mm-hmm. one you can't talk to a man with a shotgun in his hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad, bad Leroy Brown, of mm-hmm. course. Yes, I like that yeah. song. There were some misogynistic shaw- songs. Oh, before you get to make- the misogyny, oh. there's one I forgot to write down. Biggie for me. The Bee Gees, Gotta Get a Message to You. Uh, Guy on Death song. Row. Yeah. Guy on Death Row. I saw the Bee Gees. Yeah. Yeah. So the misogynistic songs, I just did a few off the top of my head and I put them in chronological order. 1927, T for Texas, also known as Blue Yodel Number 1, Jimmy Rogers. It's T for Texas, T for Tennessee, and T for Thelma. The woman that he's going to shoot, he wants to shoot Thelma just to see her jump and fall. But he also sure. wants to kill the rounder that stole her away so he mm, does want to kill a guy too and then uh, 1962 this is the worst honestly even though i love johnny cash delia's gone by johnny cash mm-hmm. if you don't know that if you never read the lyrics to that that is a very very dark song it's yes. really yes. like i love johnny and it's a point of view song but it's like no 1967 hey joe by Jimi hendrix uh, yeah. yeah he's gonna go kill his woman because she cheated on him after, yeah. you know she's your she didn't cheat on him actually she just was somebody new 1987 i used to love her by guns and roses it's their attempt to be funny i think but um the narrator says i used to love her but i had to kill her i put her six feet under and i can still hear her complain it's like fuck you although it reminds me of that guy and that you did the story on with buried her with the potato chips and stuff oh yeah luke uh yeah 1988 buenos noches from a lonely room by dwight yoakam a guy stalks his ex and creeps into her room and shoots her point blank while she's sleeping in bed with a new guy that one's pretty bad too so anyway there are many many songs yeah. there's a few of women killing men goodbye earl by the dixie chicks and which they got, they got all flack. sorts of shit for yes yeah. they did and they didn't write it it was some other group that never released right. it that had written it another one that got a lot of crap is uh rihanna had one called man down a woman shoots a guy in the middle of central station because he's moved on with another girl but she does in the song she does feel bad she feels bad that she killed the guy but she got a lot of shit for that song yeah. and the one that's an outlier Aerosmith's Cheney's Got a Gun from 1989 it's about an abused girl who kills her father and it's still played on the radio all the time I hear it all the time Steven Tyler and Tom Hamilton wrote the song and I read that they had to change some of the lyrics because the record company didn't like them like they had to take out the word rape I think it's an interesting subject matter for a band like that to do yes but but Steven Tyler told Rolling Stone that he's attracted to his daughters. I mean, they're a mixture of the woman you love and yourself, so how could you not be attracted? Oh, gross. But of course, he'd never act on it like Janie's father in the song. I know, oh. I was like, that's so freaking oh, gross. Oh, gross. So the only thing, other thing I wanted to say is my favorite line from Roland the Thompson Gunner, because I already said right. Laurie's Guns and Money by Warren the whole song. Zivon. By, by Warren Zevon. Right. Patty Hearst heard the burst of Roland's Thompson Gun and bought it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was good. Yeah, so probably a good note to end. That on. was fun. It was. I just thought it was funny. We had so many that were different. I know, and that that I hadn't even thought of. Yeah, I know. We'll put links to them on. Uh, um, yeah, the ones the ones that are on YouTube and stuff. I think all of the ones I on my list are on YouTube. Yeah. Um, because I listened to them as I was writing this. So next episode we'll be back to It'd normal. Be me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on it. So I guess that's it for us tonight. 
And I want to thank everyone for listening to us for the 100, 100 episodes. Yeah. I can't believe we've written that many. Yeah. I know. Wow. Thank you for your support. We have some longtime listeners that have been with us the whole way, and we appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. You know, and maybe for the 200th, we'll do something even better. Yeah. Yep. Uh Okay. Well, good night. Good night. The night was clear, and the moon was yellow, and the leaves came. Oh. Uh-huh.